Hey, hello, everyone. I wanted to start off this episode with a quick plug for our brand new Patreon page. We have finally decided to launch a Patreon page, and we're so grateful to those of you that have already jumped on board. Three different membership tiers, and they all include something a little bit different. We have the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad membership tier, which is only $3 a month. It'll give you access to our private Facebook page and also a shout out on the show as well. And then uh, for $6 a month, you can join our Seven Doors Mind Train, and that will allow you to pick a show topic at least once a year. Also, you'll get access to a monthly exclusive Patreon episode, which will be more like news-based or kind of just a conversation about what's going on around Disney and around the parks and includes all the other things that you get with all the other tiers. And then we have the Space Mountain tier, which is $12 a month, and that actually allows you to be a guest on the show. And you also get a handwritten postcard from a BTM host. Now, I'm not going to give away who that host might be, but they probably have much better writing than I do. So that will be really exciting as well. And of course, you do get to pick the show topic too, and you get all those other benefits, including the monthly Patreon show. So it's just going to be great. Come and join us. Speaking of shout outs, I want to give a shout out to our very first set of patrons of the show we're so grateful to all of them so first at that three dollar tier we have b bonner and then we actually have four patrons that are going to be in the space mountain tier already our good friend tristan tapscott spoiler warning you might be hearing from him very shortly we also have greg woods michael taylor and then of course friend of the show justin Suter. so thank you all so much for joining us on this journey if you want to learn more please go to patreon.com slash beyond the mouse uh, patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n so go and check that out now i've not heard this episode yet either so i am excited to introduce our coven of sisters to this show as they start to break down in a spoilerific review of Hocus, Hocus 2. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Well, hello everyone out there in podcast land. The black flame candle has been lit. We are the Beyond the Mouse sisters. And today we are talking about Hocus Pocus 2. I'm your host, Vanessa Ferguson. Joining me today are some other lovely ladies from the Beyond the Mouse podcast. Then they are uh, allowing me to be quite silly with that introduction. But I have here today Anna McFarland. Hello. So excited to have you back. Yes. Thank you for having me. And then also here to cause a muck, a muck, a muck, a muck is the lovely <laughs> Bee Bonner. Hello, spooky friends and sisters and brothers out there. <laughs> oh, that's very good. I love that. I love I, that. I had, to, I had to match your energy a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun here today because we're talking about Hocus Pocus 2, much anticipated film for the fall season. It kicks off our Halloween celebrations. And if you are a listener of the Beyond the Mouse podcast, welcome back. We're happy to have you here today. And then if you are a listener, of the peanut butter and biscuits Ted Lasso podcast. Well, I am just, I'm so, so sorry for what you're about to experience <laughs> because uh, I'm not sure if you've have, have Anna, have you been on the Ted Lasso podcast? With I Ted? have not. I have not heard all about it though. Yeah, B, you haven't either. Have I you? haven't even watched the show. I apologize. Okay. I should oh, do that. Oh, see, now the listeners are going to come for us because I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
Well, part of the reason we're also mentioning that podcast is because two of the characters from Ted Lasso make an appearance in Hocus Pocus 2. And so we will definitely talk about that. But first, let's jump right in to what our first impressions are of this film. Again, there's a lot of buildup. We've been waiting a while. It's been uh, the first film came out in what, 1993. So it's about 30 years old. And now we have this film. So Anna, I'm going to throw it to you first. What was your first impression of this film? Yes. I, as you mentioned, I was so anticipating this film. So it had a lot of buildup for me and I will say that I loved it. I loved watching this film and it's one that I think I will go back to every season just to watch again. And, and now I want to watch more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really eager to watch this again. I only had time for one viewing, but I'm excited for what is to come. B Bonner, what about you? what do you think of this film? So like Anna, I think I'm going to have to keep going back to the film because surprisingly I liked it. And I will say that Hocus Pocus wasn't one of my favorites growing up. I do remember watching it as a young child, but honestly, it scared me, y'all, because I'm scared of everything. So I wasn't really looking too forward to watching this. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. I'm going to have to cleanse myself because I'm going to be scared. But I actually really liked it. I thought it was cute. It was fun. It was a little spooky. But like Anna, I think we should go back and check it out again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been really interesting to see all the hocus pocus parties that have come about from this film premiering on Disney Plus. I want to say that I have seen no less than maybe 10 people posting about either their special hocus pocus food or they had a gathering or they had the fire going. A lot of people were trying to watch. Well, I say trying because I tried to watch and I failed. <laughs> I had to move it inside, but a lot of people watching the movie outside. So it's been really, really cool. Did either of you have anything like that? Well, I have before, I have it this year watching Hocus Pocus too, but it is something that sits really special with a group of friends from high school and I, and we always message each other, Hey, it's October 1st. Are you watching Hocus Pocus? So we've had a connection with this film for a really long time. It's we've had parties like that before previous years and we've carved pumpkins and done the whole thing. So it's been really fun. We just hadn't been able to have the chance yet this year, hopefully soon though, thinking of them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's been interesting that B, you said it wasn't one of your favorite films growing mm -hmm. up, the original. And I did a little digging around on the interwebs to find a digging. I just went to Rotten Tomatoes. Like it's so hard. <laughs> but I, I, I put a lot of effort into this episode, as you can tell. But the original 1993 Hocus Pocus had a 38% critic score. It was not popular, not popular, not loved by the critics, but a 71% audience score. But the reason why I mention you B is because I've had people tell me that, that, that it wasn't their favorite movie, or maybe they only liked the Sanderson sisters. They didn't care for the other parts of the movie. Overall, most people seem to love the original, but it wasn't beloved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and you know completely. what? After So I went back and watched the first one before I watched the second one because I couldn't re really remember the plot of the first movie. So I'm like, no, well, let's go back and watch it. And as I was sitting there watching, I'm like, why didn't I like this? Like, I couldn't remember why I didn't like it. I think I just couldn't remember watching the movie as, as much as I watched, like, Halloween Town or, like, Casper and things like that. But honestly, I could see why a lot of people enjoy it. I will say the humor in the first movie was really good if you're an adult watching with a kid. And maybe as a child, that's why I didn't like it because I didn't understand a lot of things they were talking about. But me as an adult, I'm like, this is so funny. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And that may be because, you know, it's been 30 years. So those of us who are in our, uh, let's say mid twenties to maybe mid thirties, you know, this is a film we grew up on and, and now we love, and we really enjoy that humor. Now, do either of you care to take a stab at the number for what the critics and what the audiences are saying for this film? Oh, Anna, go ahead. Give oh. a stab. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have no idea. I, Based on what you just said about the original one, I'm going to go with the same for this one. Am I close? So it's interesting. You're, you're kind, if you would have met in the middle between an average between the 38%, 71%, you would have been right about where this film's hitting Hocus Pocus 2 sitting with critics and audiences. There's not a lot of difference right now. I guess it's, it is early in the viewing process. So maybe yeah. that audience score will come up, but right now, 59% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics. So they like it better than the first one, at least. Yeah, and then yeah. audience score, though, surprisingly, is only hitting at 56%. So we've got a ways to go if we want to get in that 70s range. But like I said, it's still early. And we'll just have to see how this movie holds up over time. I mean, remember, we loved the first film and we were kids. It's not like they were asking us what our score was. So maybe 30 years from now, people, adults our age are, are going to say this movie was great. I was going to say, I will say that I did watch it on Friday night when it first came out and I was kind of lukewarm on it. And I thought, I just want to watch it again and see what I missed. So I watched it again, Saturday night, so much preferred the second time I watched it just because I was able to catch more. And I wasn't caught up in the fact that it wasn't the original, like part of my heart was like, why isn't it going like the original did? So Anyway, just to shed some light on that, maybe that's kind of what other people are going through. That's a good point. That's a good yeah, point. and I think it's important to remember too the the directorial take on each of these films is very. It's actually quite different. So it, yeah, if you're going in expecting the first film, the same style, it's not going to be that. But but both very good. Let's jump into the characters though, because they're the real stars of the show. And I think we need to talk about the sisters first. Maybe we, we want to highlight Winifred a little bit more this go around because the story really does focus on her a lot more than it did the, the trio themselves in the previous film. So let's talk about Winifred who is playing Played by Bette Midler and B will go to you first. Okay. So what I really appreciate about Hocus Pocus 2 was that you saw the backstory for why Winnie was, you know, kind of the way she was. You found out she lost her father. The sisters were kind of all dependent on her. She was very young, had just turned 16. And Salem wasn't that nice to the girls. They were trying to make her marry this nasty boy. She didn't want to do that. And so you saw that at the beginning of the movie, you saw sort of how she had to take, you know, leadership and ownership of her life and of her sister's lives. And, you know, they did the unthinkable. They went into the secret, scary forest. Ooh, spooky. So um, I really enjoyed just getting to know Winnie as an individual, like you said, Vanessa, instead of as, you know, as part of the sisters. So uh, as you get on in the film and the sisters are brought back to life, I think as soon as they came back to life, there's a musical number and Bette does extremely well with those musical numbers all the time. So I think I want to start there. I don't want to get too far off into the film, but I think she does a really good job of bringing this character back to life. Uh, the same energy as the first film. So it's almost like she didn't miss a beat. To me, there was definitely a difference between Bette Midler in the original 
and Bette Midler in, in this film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the writing or if it was the acting. Uh, all three of these actors said that it was very easy to get right back in the boots of these characters. But to me, there definitely was a difference. Um, but I love Bette in this. Uh, Anna, what did what was your take on Bette's portrayal? I echo both of you. I think that, um, as V mentioned, she seemed like she didn't skip a beat, that she just fell right back into place. And um, I felt that, like, I felt like her humor was the same and she had the same wit and the same mannerisms. And it was so fun to watch. It definitely made me smile as I was watching this come back to life again. Uh, She seemed like uh, this time the character was written kinder, that it wasn't so Mm. scary, that it wasn't so sinister. It definitely had that lightheartedness to it that I think maybe wasn't in the original as much, but that's just my first takeaway on kind of what I think might be happening. But I I can see why they did it just to make it a little bit more family friendly, maybe, or to give just a different insight on the character. And real quick, did her teeth get smaller (laughs) this film or or am I just imagining that? No, I saw that too. And I didn't, she mentioned, I think, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but she walks up to somebody in a scene and makes a comment about the teeth. So I wondered if maybe that was a thing. You know, it's interesting to me also, like you said, Anna, they, they made her kinder. I think they made her more relatable. They gave this villain, which was just, you know, evil menacing in the first film, funny, uh, hilariously charming in the first film, but they gave her more depth. They gave her some reasons for being the way she is. And also you see the stuff at the end of the movie where she really depends on her sisters. And even though she's so mean to them throughout both films there is this uh deep connection where she she needs them and it was it was really really interesting that they took that route they could have just made this another sinister mean evil sisters movie but they didn't they gave these characters depth so i thought that was a a pretty interesting uh take on a, a, a neat way to go with this second film It's a bold choice, but I think what a lot of directors are doing with villains is making them not black and white, showing them that, you know, a lot of people do have both good and bad, and there's a reason for how people end up the way they do. I think they're just trying to show you people just don't show up evil most of the time. Now, I'm not going to say that for everybody, but most of the time. So I think that's one thing I agree with you both on, that they really just tried to bring that into this story because we didn't get into the first one, even though I did kind of like the fun evilness of the first one, but that's just me. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did too. So that's why I was really, I'm like, oh, wow, they're really, they're going this direction with this film. Mm -hmm. Neat. Okay. Interesting. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, uh, women over history have often been called witches for just having an opinion. So it's kind of nice that this was a, had a hint of that down with the patriarchy kind of vibe to it. Uh, I don't know. It may not be for everybody, but I think they did it in a good way. Uh, well, let's talk about Kathy Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker, our supporting sisters, who actually, I think Sarah's character has a little bit more depth as well. There's this interesting moment where she stands up to Winnie and tells her, you know, stop bossing me around, stop being, I'm not dumb, don't treat me that way. Uh, we don't see as much development from the character from, of Mary, but what were your overall take on these two sisters? And uh, Anna, we'll go to you first. Completely agree. I loved it when Sarah stood up to her sister and said, don't talk to me that way. And same with Kathy uh, and Jimmy in the way that she played Mary. She had wonderful nods to the original character. It was great to see. And, um, you know, Sarah Jessica did as well, have nods to her character. Both of them did. I really enjoy these portrayals. And I think it was fun to add that extra layer of them 
but also how it fits into the bigger picture for Hocus Pocus 2 as a film. Again, going into more details later, I'm sure, but just how that fits together in the bigger picture, I think of kind of this Hocus Pocus world and how these characters interact with each other and what that all means. So more to come there, I'm sure, but just, it was really great to see these three and how they always played as a really fun ensemble. And we got to see more than just the little quips from these two characters. They had more than just a couple one-off lines. And I thought that was great. Yeah, it seems like it was intentional uh, the the writers of this film or the writer knew that this was a nostalgia, a bit of nostalgia for our audience. And it seems like they gave our beloved characters a lot more dialogue. We'll talk about this more with some of the other characters, but uh, it was interesting to see, like you said, Anna, they had a lot more moments uh, that we could enjoy as fans of the original. Uh, B, anything else on the characters of Mary and Sarah? Well, one thing I really liked that they did with Sarah in this movie uh, was make her a little less of just the dumb flirtatious girl that we got from the first film. Because, you know, she's supposed to be the comedy break, the person that, you know, she's not all the way up there. But in this movie, like you all pointed out, she was able to stand up for herself. I think she had better developed dialogue, like you all said, because in the first one, it was like, okay, she's just gonna flirt with everybody and that's kind of her role. You know, she's gonna get the girls in trouble that way. But I think she played really well. Uh, Sarah did really well with the character again, played really well with Bette and Kathy so I think that was good and Kathy is always a delight (laughs) watches Mary she cracks me up the most I just oh she's just such a delight to watch yeah it's it's really fun seeing them on the screen again doing these characters and and they do them so well you know for me this film it really takes off when they make their appearance in the film they made the first one that's when it took off for me and the same thing for the second film they have true star power and you don't always see that in in films where someone can come in and make the whole movie and they absolutely do but now we have some three new ladies who are taking the screen and we'll see if in 30 years they have the same effect Uh, we have the characters becca izzy and cassie Becca kind of being our our main character uh, where the story revolves around her and her powers as a a, a spoiler, as a witch. She's a witch. Uh, And then also her friends, Izzy and Cassie. Now, Cassie, we really don't see much of in the film as a whole, but Izzy, we do. So let's talk about those three gals and uh, you can talk about them individually as a whole, whatever you'd like to do. B, I think we'll go to you. Okay. So these three girls, again, are so funny. They do comedy well. But as I was watching this, I'm like, you crazy. Because I'm not about to be going around doing no rituals or none of that. Because if I bring back somebody, I'm not sure what I would do. I would probably, you know, just go crazy. It's, it's too much. But, you know, they got into a little trouble in that way. They're just doing their yearly, you know, tradition that they do. And one of my favorite moments, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, happened with Becca and Izzy as they, spoiler alert, do this little ritual and the ground starts breaking and then you just hear a nope that would be me (laughs) that would totally be me nope I'm getting up out of here but I think they play so well together and I think these three characters also you know gave sort of a a kind of like screenshot of the moral of the story you know friendship sisterhood 
because they had this strong friendship and it sort of fell off because of a misunderstanding, but they were able to come back together. So I think through this film, it did take a different different route that you're kind of learning some good lessons in friendship and sisterhood. And I think they displayed that really well. Yeah, absolutely. If I can jump onto that, I have to say, uh, Belisa Escobedo, I hope I'm saying that right, because she's, I feel like she's going to be a big star. She plays the character Izzy, which is the friend to our witch, Becca. And to me, her line delivery is so good. She has good comedic relief and time. She does. (laughs) I, I don't think this is the last we've seen of her. I fair, if I was a talent agent, I would be on the phone, like trying to get this gal into as many things as I could, because I think she's got the talent. She, to me, out of all the three girls, she had the most star quality. And I really look forward to what else that she'll do. Uh, This character and this actor made me think, oh man, if we did have a Hocus Pocus three with (laughs) with them back, I think she could make it really, really fun. I think it'll be on the show. Yeah, she did. I to me, she stole the show. I really, really liked her portrayal. Of course, uh, Whitney Peak, who plays Becca, she did a great job as well. Cassie, like I said, that character we didn't see a ton of, uh, but you know, maybe there's more there to to be developed. Anna, what do you think of our our new three leading ladies? Just outstanding. What a joy to watch. I echo all thoughts, but just watching these three ladies together and seeing where they take the story on is what really captured me. And that's what I think I really enjoyed about Hocus Pocus too, is seeing the three of them together. It gave me something new to latch onto and new to enjoy about this story. And I can't wait to see maybe what, what happens next. For me, it, it still has, you know, sometimes with young actors, especially teenage actors, it has that hint of direct to Disney plus series, but I have to say, I feel like this casting is really, really good and that we could see more from Becca and Izzy. They they just really, for me, I, they just blew me away. So I, I really like those characters. Now, there are some other characters and we have to get into the Ted Lasso <laughs> part of our show because our poor Ted Lasso <laughs> listeners are like, okay, enough like, already. Get to, get, it, get to it, get to it, get, get to, to it. it. <laughs> so we have the wonderfully talented mega superstar, Hannah Waddingham, who comes in at the beginning of this film into our intro and she plays the witch mother is the, the title of her character. Now that to- doesn't completely get explained to us whether she's just more of a mentor, if she was their mom, we just don't know. Uh, but she also is in Ted Lasso and is starred in a number of West End shows. She's, you know, she's got this huge talent. So she, I liked her in this film, but I, I know from Hannah Waddingham that she has a much more star power than what was what we saw in this intro. She could do so much more. So again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but <laughs> I think we should not only could, but absolutely should have a Hocus Pocus three where she plays a bigger role. And, and I know Craig McFarland said that, but I was thinking mm-hmm. it before he even said it. We, right? we all share a brain at this point. Yeah. y'all. I'm telling yeah, so y'all, our we, brains I mean, are fusing. You, you guys tell me, what are your thoughts on Hannah? Because I know, B, you sent me a little private message too. We were like, I was already thinking that. Well, okay. So real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys remember from the first film, whenever the sisters will talk about mother, they mother. will always mention mother and then go, oh, you know, sort yeah. of. Yeah. So when I watched this film, I'm like, could this be the mother that they're referencing? I wonder if they're talking about their real mom or if they're talking about mother witch. I don't know. But 
Hannah is absolutely breathtaking and beautiful as the witch. And witches, sometimes you don't see that. So I was like, oh, okay, this is nice. I just wish we would have saw a little bit more because I would like to know how her role plays into the sisters a little bit more. I'm wondering if she ever came back and saw them, if she ever helped them with their magic as they developed. I'm wondering how the, you know, how she got the book in her possession in the first place. So there were a lot of unanswered questions where I'm like, I need more, I need more, I need more. But I think she did a wonderful job. I just wish we would have got a little more because she, you're right. She has the power to really just play a leading character and really just take over. So hopefully, hopefully we get to see the little bird, wink, wink, um, in Hocus Pocus 3. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a red wing black bird. You know, I don't know nothing about bird watchers out there. (laughs) Vanessa and Anna know I know nothing about birds. So or nature or nature. I'm a city girl. Okay. Not the rapper, but I'm a city girl. (laughs) Anna, what do you think about Hannah? Anything else to add about her? She's just so captivating to watch that. I just really wish we had more of that in this film. It's the thing I think that was lacking. I know I think why they're doing it now with, with once I got to the end of the film, I'm like, oh, maybe that's why we didn't see so much Hannah. Uh, well, but I just, we'll explain she's explain that what, what happens at the end of the film. Go ahead yes. and tell our listeners. Well, definitely spoiler alert, but at the end of the film, the last image that we see are the three new witches that are walking down. And then we see this beautiful bird flying behind them as kind of a little I, nod to, I wonder what's coming next. And so we saw that at the beginning of the film, the bird flies in and then transforms into mother witch. So then at the end of the film, mother witch is still following them through. So I, it's a full circle moment. I just really think that we can see something coming here sometime soon. And uh, it was great to see it. So I think that that explains to me why we maybe we didn't see so much in this film of the mother witch character. Yeah, that could be, that could be, we'll just, we'll just plant the seed to Disney. You you have all the speculating of a third film. All right. Now our second Ted Lasso character is Gilbert the Great, played by Sam Richardson, who I, I'm sorry, I found him absolutely adorable in this film. He's another one that I wanted more screen time with because he was so darn charming. I, I can't help myself. Someone else, please chime in and tell me you found him cute too. I thought Gilbert was cute, but I also was like, bruh, you caused this whole mess with your curiosity, dude. Now, let me just mention this real quick. This whole episode will be a spoiler alert. So if you're listening, stop the recording. Go watch the movie. Turn us back on because we're going to spoil the whole thing today, actually. But you know, I was like, Gilbert, dude, why would you give her this candle? Because you knew she was going to do because, it. But it's because he is all of us. He is the quintessential focus fan. He's no, no, no. He loves Mm-mm. it. He, if we were maybe not be Bonner because she's scared of everything. Yes. But if we were given the chance to light the black flame candle, and we were, you know, as they they hint at in the movie, I'm not even going to say it because they they uh, just well, make this. Well, he, you he know, made, he made one of the best jokes. <laughs> I know it's, and that's just that's what's great about this movie too, because it is for those thirty some year old fans that are that remember how awkward the first film is when they go what the virgin <laughs> oh my well he gave one of the most one of my most funniest lines okay They're like, sorry what was it what's the virgin it's a person who's never lit a candle That's when right. i say i was dying on my couch and i had to rewind it and then rewind it again and rewind how, it again how many candles have you lit me bonner 
My mama's listening to this. <laughs> okay, we won't we won't get into our candle collection today. But uh <laughs> Anna, what'd you think of our buddy Sam, my new boyfriend, Sam Richardson? Oh, oh just outstanding performance. And I loved how his magic shop was inside of the Sanderson sister house. That was so cool. Such a great nod to the original film. And like B, I was like, how dare he? He followed them and started this whole thing. Why would you do that after all the work that Max did to make sure that they didn't come back? And he brought them back. So at first, the character, I was not a huge fan of. I love Sam Richardson, though. I thought he portrayed it great. It was just really <laughs> funny. But as a character, I'm going, why would you do that? No. But it just led to so many interesting plot points. And it was just so fun to watch that whole side unfold as well, knowing what we know now and just seeing that go through was so fun. It was a great watch. He's a wonderful actor. I, I have to say, I would, again, love a Hocus Pocus 3 where Gilbert the Great actually does become Gilbert the Great <laughs> and gets some kind of magical powers just to... Just to make this guy's, you know, lifelong dream come true. We can't trust him with powers. He's going to, he's going to set the record straight with Billy Butcherson and make sure that sort of, he's redeeming himself for all the wrong he did earlier in the film. But, but let's talk about Billy Butcherson. Uh, The original actor, Doug Jones, coming back to reprise this role. I didn't realize until I looked up his IMDb page that he has portrayed pretty much every scary person ever, including the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth, which is completely unforgivable. But uh, what did what did we all think about this return of Billy Butcherson? The scream that I had when I saw him standing there at the beginning was palpable. I was so excited. I was like, Billy, yay. We get to see him, uh, non-zombie form in the beginning. It was wonderful. And then I was like, oh, maybe that's the only Billy nod that we have. And then, no, we have this whole other part in the ending that just feels so much like the original It was just such a great nod. And I think that they really carried that storyline through beautifully. It was so fun to watch. Yeah. And for fans of the original, this is a character that everybody really, really loves, probably because he's so terrifying at the beginning of the film. And then he becomes this lovable, helpful character. And so I think the writers are like, well, we need to give him more screen time. We have to give him more dialogue because the fans, this is what the fans want. So it, it was really fun to see him. Uh, although he does get his mouth sewn again, poor guy. Just can't get he does. Yeah. Yeah. Be any thoughts, any more things to add about Billy? Well, Billy gets to defend himself in this movie because before we know him as Winnie's lover that Sarah saw, but he's like, no, we just shared a kiss. That was it. Great I wasn't point. a lover. <laughs> Which it, it, I mean, that totally checks out that Winnie would totally exaggerate this and be like a, a creepy stalker person and have a crush on someone and over-exaggerate it. So I, I did think that, that made a lot of sense. And I was glad to see Billy actually wasn't with Winnie. And it also makes the first film make more sense too. Yes. Yes. One other character that I I'd like to talk about today, before we move on to our favorite scenes is the character of the mayor who is played by Tony Hale, which a lot of people know from Arrested Development. He, oh my gosh, when I tell you, I laugh so hard at his like intro monologue. <laughs> it's hysterical. He says something like he, he really wants the girls to go try these candy apples. And he's like, 
it'll change your life. And oh my God. And then he starts doing that wheezy laugh, which I do. I kid you not. I was watching with my parents. They looked at each other and said, well, that sounds familiar. And they turned and looked at me. I'm like, well, I don't have to tell you. I have a wheezy laugh too, but oh man, this is such, I'm just going to gush on him for a minute, guys. To me, this is the perfect example of how you can have some dialogue that's maybe not the best, just okay, and really make it outstanding and special with how you act, your mannerisms, um, the inflection of your voice. He does such a great job. He's funny throughout the whole film. I kind of wish we'd seen more of him, but you know what we did see? Every scene he was in was so, so good. But what did y'all think? What I appreciated about his character in this film was that he represented the clueless parent that you always see in different TV shows and different films. It never fails. The danger could be right in front of the parent, but they're just, no, that's fake. Or they're just completely clueless. And the kids are like, no, dad, it's right there. It's going to get you. And, you know, I thought that was so fun. Like these sisters are literally in your driveway and and you think they're angry party goers or two old party goers that just need to go home. So I think that was so funny, so special. The candy apple bits were great. I would be the same way if I didn't get my candy apple and I had been at this carnival and had been getting my teenage daughter together and everything like that. Because at the end of the day, I think he deserves to have a sweet treat. So I'm so sorry, Mr. Mayor, that you did not get that. But I think it he also served as kind of like the tying piece for the film in a way, because at the beginning, you see that the Reverend was the person that was so mean to Winnie and basically exiled her from Salem. And so the mayor is a descendant and Cassie is is a descendant. And so Winnie's like, oh, I have a plan now. So basically they're like the centerpiece of what, you know, kind of drives their anger at this point. So I thought that was really interesting that I'm like, y'all are still carrying on this 300 year like (laughs) argument. Like you're still mad, but I guess so. Let's just see what happens to them. I probably will still be mad too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then, you know, from 1993, I, I guess, I assume it just felt like going to sleep and then waking up the next day and you're in, you know, 2022. I don't know. That, that was my question too. Does it just feel like you go to sleep for a day and then you just wake up or- I would you, assume you, so. You know, time played a really interesting point in this film too, but I won't jump too far because I want to hear what Anna has to say about Mr. Maya. Oh, he was outstanding. Just the way that uh, Tony portrayed this character, as Vanessa mentioned, he has these lines that maybe are a little bit shorter or not as in depth as some of the other ones, but the way he carries and he just does such a wonderful job of giving us this comedic relief, but also helps move the plot along. Just a real joy to watch. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love him. I think he's just did a fantastic job and really helped make this movie so fun. Now, I want to talk about favorite scenes. So if I can transition from Tony Hale into one of my favorite scenes, which is when uh, there is a flash mob, essentially. Well, there's not a flash mob. What's really happening is the Sanderson sisters have bewitched the town again. They're dancing again, but this time they're doing it in flash mob style. And they're, the whole point is to go out and find the mayor. And uh, the mayor has no idea why they're doing this. He thinks that he's part of a flash mob. And it, his reaction 
reaction is just, I'm in a flash mob. I'm in one. It's, it's just so great. It's exactly how I would react if I saw a bunch of people in costume dancing uh, toward me. And I should mention the reason they're in costume, of course, is because it's Halloween and there's a Halloween carnival. And so uh, it's just a delightful scene. It's, it's so funny. It's a great, uh, I think it's about midway point in the film mm-hmm. that, that just kind of lightens the mood of the, of the whole thing. But uh, that was one of my favorite scenes. And I, ref- I, I refer to that as the thriller section of the right, movie. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and actually, I wanted to ask Anna about this because you are a choreographer. I wanted to get your take on seeing everybody in costume dancing. You know, what did, what did you think? Was it done right or could have been done better? Oh my goodness. I had the biggest smile on my face watching that part. One, because it seemed like such a throwback to the original movie. We saw some costumes that people were wearing in the original film. So that was such a bright moment, but it is so incredibly hard to do it with the precision that they had. They had sharp movements. They had, everybody was in the exact same line as each other. And they had a grid across the street. And my mind was blown because that is so hard that they must've worked really, really hard on that scene. And it paid off because it was incredible. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine, her family lives out on the East coast and actually, oh, one of our podcast pals was sharing. I'm sorry. I don't remember who it was right now, but was uh, posting pictures of the the sets and things and they were out there. Um, and so I know that they were pulling from uh, locals to do, to be some of the extras. I don't know if it was the dancers per se, but some of the extras in that film and how cool would that have been to be one of those costumed uh, persons in the background, just watching this unfold. It, it would probably would have felt like a giant party. So fantastic scene. Uh, B, you can comment on that scene or you can move on to another one of your favorite scenes. Well, really quick, I was going to say it would be so fun if Anna choreographed us a dance to one way or another. <laughs> you know I will. You that know be, I will. Let's do we, it. We put on costumes. <laughs> it would be so fun. <laughs> I'm in. I'm going to need a lot of rehearsals. Let me just put it that way. We got you. We got you. (laughs) All right. Give us another favorite scene. Okay. Well, I mentioned this earlier about time being a big factor. I think in both of the films, but we saw it a little bit more in this uh, 2022 version where time is just, you know, you can see the sisters saying, what's this? What's that? How does this all work? And so one of my favorite scenes was when they went to Walgreens. And first of all, they're like, Becca must be a really powerful witch because those doors open right away for her. I'm like, child, those are automatic doors. And then, you know, they go in there and then they're putting on all the lotions and things because they think they're potions and they're trying to stay youthful. And they take a selfie with a group of girls and they have a filter on the selfie. So of course they look beautiful. And I was cracking up because as I was sitting there doing that, I was actually taking a selfie of my hair because I had just take, t- taken my hair out of braids and I had put on a filter and I'm like, I look good. And then I turned it off and I'm like, ooh, you look a little crusty. <laughs> so I related to the sisters in that moment and I was just laughing because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like us regular people. When we put on a filter, we're like, girl, we look good. But when we take it off, we like, we could use a little work. So they were freaking out in that scene once they saw how they really looked. And they're like, this girl's a liar. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned that it was a filter because that's what I suspected was happening. But I, I did wonder if that was going to be clear to all of our slightly older viewers who maybe are not used to using <laughs> the selfie beauty filters. 
Uh, I, I suspected that's what was happening, but I, I, I'm, I, oh, I hope Vanessa. that makes sense. I hope that makes sense to everybody who is watching it because then in the next moment, they, you know, they ask someone if they look old and cause they look at the, they look at the, you know, the phone picture and they think they look great. Yeah, it, it was a filter, y'all. So go check out those filters on Snapchat and Instagram, even though I think some of them got banned in some places. So y'all, oh, y'all may yeah. have to come to Illinois and look at y'all. Yeah, you don't want to catfish anybody with this. Yes, that's right. That's, 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 that's right. That's I guess right. that's what they say. That's what the kids saying these days. <laughs> Anna, any comments on the Walgreens scene or do you have another favorite scene for us? I do. Yeah. So Walgreens is definitely one of them. And for me, it was because it was such a throwback to kind of the feel of the original film. But going off of that, another scene that I really love that kind of has the same feel is when they walk into, I think it's Cassie's house and there's an Alexa there and she talks back to them and then they go, there's a little woman and she's inside that box. And it cracked me up because it was so funny. <laughs> and it reminds me again, a throwback to the original when they had like the burning rain of death because they hadn't seen sprinklers yet. So of course, in our new film in 2022, they're catching up with all the technology that we've caught up with since 1993. And that was just hysterical to me because of all the reasons that they thought through that. And it was just so funny. It was a great little moment. I agree. It's funny too, like how... You know, when they made this film in 1993 and they were thinking, I don't know if they thought this, but, you know, what other things could we surprise <laughs> the Anderson sisters with? And then 30 years later, there's all these new things that you can really confuse the the Sanderson sisters with. Who knows? In another 30 years, maybe it'll be like flying cars or something. And, and then we'll get a, a, a good joke out of that. But definitely yeah. a fun moment. Uh, any other fun scenes, Anna? I think those are the ones that really stick out for me. The ones that we've mentioned, just, it's great. They have a lot of little one-off scenes that are so fun to watch and then seeing it all fit together is just really fun to enjoy. I have just a couple more. I wanted to mention, uh, of course this, I think fans everywhere were screaming when, when this, the Sanderson sisters make their first appearance and not only do they make their first appearance but they do it in song with an yes. Elton John cover of uh well their version is called The Witch's Back that's not exactly the original but it's it's so good and you know it again it's just Bette Midler the Divine Miss M has such star power even at let's see how old is she now she's 76 y'all and she still sounds flawless. Now you can tell me that maybe some of that was in post-production, but you cannot make your voice sound that amazing and be that skilled in vocal performance with just, uh, some editing. She is the real deal. She is a massive star with massive talent. And I so loved that that was their introduction to the film. They could have just had them pop in the scene, but no, they gave them a huge musical number and it is so good. I'm pretty sure that this song is going to be on every Halloween playlist from now until forever. Thoughts on this scene? I think it was fun. You know what? When they first started singing, the first thing that came to my head was, oh Lord, they turned this into a musical. <laughs> I would be okay with that. I mean, Kathy and Jimmy, Sarah Jessica Parker, they can also sing really well. So their voices together match. I would be fine with a hook. Let's do it on Broadway. Hocus Pocus. We've got the, uh, uh, you know, Hannah that we could put in and we could do it on the West End. You know, let's, let's do it. 
and Anna can make all the choreographing and you know just get everybody yeah. together you can do the vocal uh the vocal rehearsals and the songwriting Vanessa oh and, and songwriting okay <laughs> yeah you're doing all of that and then I, I can just be backstage eating all the snacks yeah, absolutely. Well, that that was that was one of my favorite scenes. I've been listening to you could actually if you just want to listen to this song, it is a single that you can listen to on YouTube. It's uh, it's really really good. It's at the in the credits too. Uh so good. Um and then also one other scene. Now, this scene I I thought was so funny cuz I did not see it coming. And so I'm eager for you to to tell me if if you saw this coming. But in the promotional material we learned that, okay, they're going to do the shtick again about how they don't all have brooms. So it's to find things to fly on. And we see that Mary's flying on two Roombas. So we saw this already. So I, I, I tend to say that jokes are funny uh, the first couple of times and the third time you're done. Okay. So I thought, okay, we're going to see it in the film. Let's see if they do anything else with it. And we saw it in the preview. The preview is pretty much the same as what's in the movie. So I'm like, okay, there's the joke. Very funny. This is, it's been, it's been done now. It's not as funny watching it. So I'm expecting this Roomba thing to be over with like a, like a, a, just a prop gag done, but then they're trapped in salt. And, And so the whole time Mary's been treating these Roombas as dogs, like her own little pets. And then the Roombas come and save them and clear off the salt. I died. I died. I did not see that coming. I thought it was so funny. I go, cause we were literally sit, sitting on the couch going, huh, how are they going to get out of that cell? Wait, I wonder what they're going to do to get them out. And then here, here come the Roombas. <laughs> and they called them broomies. Yeah. The little broomies. Little broomies. Me up. <laughs> uh, did you guys see that coming or is it just me? No, I thought they were hoverboards at first, actually. So it took me a minute to realize they were actually like the Roombas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because we don't really see them first thing on the ground. We see Mary flying on them. So they do kind of look like hoverboards. But uh, just just a great, great moment that that really, really made me laugh. Uh, again, just things for us adults that that I think that we would really enjoy. Maybe not kids, but we all know uh, how uh, wild those Roombas can get. Now, before we get into what we don't like, I just want to make a a couple notes on things. The costumes and the scenery, because I felt like this was another standout. I might have some issues with the film, but this to me was just like top-notch scenery work. Um, I really enjoyed the costumes. I mean, we're talking about ladies who are 65, 57, and 76, and they looked amazing. So costumes were great. Costumes, the Halloween costumes were great. And the scenery was just, oh my God, like I want to live there. I, first of all, I want to visit the Sanderson home. I love that little museum. Those, all the little props, uh, set pieces that you see in that scene are so fun to look at. I love the town. I just love everything about it. But, but what was your reaction when you saw the colors and, and how it was done? Well, all the little Easter eggs too, that are in there, especially when you're walking through the magic shop and you can see like they have black flame candles for sale and they have like little nods, to different things throughout the film. I thought was brilliant. And as you mentioned, it was just stunning to watch visually. I know that a lot of people I've seen some critiques about maybe they didn't like how it was put together or it didn't look like this or that, but to me it was spot on. And I loved watching it in Salem and how everything was updated in that regard. I do want to give a nod to the end of the film as we see the three ladies walking 
um, the three young women walking now that are witches and they have their costumes that all to me speak to the originals. We have um, Becca who's in green and then we have Izzy who's in purple and we have Cassie who's in pink with the tie dye that to me is a swirl that's a nod to Max. So I'm like all these little cool Easter eggs that are in there, but also spawning something new is so fun to watch visually. Yeah, I I really liked it too. And and again, it just, again, speaks to how this is a film for those who love nostalgia. B, any comments on the scenery? Or if you have, uh, if you don't have anything, we could jump into what we did not like about this film. (laughs) Well, one thing really quick, and one thing I really appreciate about people that work on scenery and they really do some great storytelling through that uh, way, but Salem, when you look at the beginning of the film, you see old Salem, you see dark colors, you see a lot of grays and blacks and just overall the filming looks a little dark but once you get into like new Salem you see a lot of colors so again the green the red the purples the oranges um it's much brighter so to me that kind of set the tone for the movie old Salem not a happy place for the Sanderson sisters they're you know alone essentially and they're having to fend for themselves and people aren't very nice there you know so that's why you see all those dark colors but you get to New Salem, people are kind of happy. They're having fun celebrating Halloween. Um, people are happy to be in this small town. So I really appreciated that because you get to see the different contrast. Again, um, a nod to the storytellers. When the Sanderson sisters first arrived back in 2022, they noticed that the ground is not covered in grass anymore there's actually paved roads and things like that. So those little small things that they had the Sanderson sisters notice about the setting also, I think, played into the story. So I really appreciated those small storytelling pieces, but it makes you kind of go, huh, these are very intentional choices. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is really uh, well done. It, 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 like I said before, it has a different feel than the first film. Even in the color saturation, it is different. If you've seen the movie Dumplin' on Netflix, which actually I did think of that film uh, because of uh, some of the drag queens that aren't featured. Uh, Gingerman, yes. one of my favorite drag queens, uh, is in Dumplin' and in this movie. Same director, director Anne Fletcher. She directed both films, uh, Hocus Pocus 2 and Dumplin'. And, and they do have... Um, kind of that pop, fun, colorful take on both of these stories, uh, which again is very different from the first one. And just really quickly, you can't forget about the cat, Gilbert's cat that was in this film. I thought he was going to start talking and be like Binks from the first Hocus Pocus. Well, we don't know because if you watch the post credit scene, that cat is guarding it is other black flame candles that we'd forgotten were made. Uh, there are there are more stories to be had and we have to find out who actually is this cat. So, so hopefully again, the cat starts talking. <laughs> hopefully start to, the cat's got her tongue right now. We don't know what to say, but, but hopefully <laughs> something happens with Hocus Pocus 3 that we can get to the bottom of this. Yes. Uh, now, things that didn't work so well. I just want to say overall, this is a fun movie. Like I said, the first one, it's it's not like an amazing, it's no Citizen Kane. It's it's a great film, uh, but it's it's not going to change the world. And this film isn't really going to either. This film is a fun film, but there were things that were slightly different from the first one that, that you may not like. For me personally, I thought the writing could have been a little bit more clever, have a little bit more comedy to it. It felt very campy. 
um, which is fun, but it can also wear on people, I think. And I think that could be where some of the negative criticism is coming from is because it, it felt um, a bit forced. Um, and, and I look to the writing on that. I don't necessarily blame the actors in their delivery because I look at Tony Hale and I'm like, well, he had he had to make the best of that, but not everybody can do that as well as he did. And, and really, if you look at the dialogue, it's not like amazing. They do the best they can. But that's one of the things that I didn't absolutely love about this film. Was there anything else that you all felt like could have been just a little bit better? I think those are, you're right on there. And I echo those sentiments for sure. And another one for me that stood out right away when you mentioned negatives is just, and we just talked about it, but I wish that there was more with the black cat. I'm like, there's just a little tiny nod, but even though Binks was such a huge part of the first movie and there's no mention of what happened to Binks or not even a one-off line of like, oh, we're not including him because, you know, he's X, Y, and Z now. And so for me, I'm like, but you got to mention more than just, oh yeah, that's my black cat. Because Binks sits so deeply with a lot of us. So for me, that was kind of a miss and I'm really hopeful that it's on purpose and it's because we're going to see more later. And so I was really relieved to see some, something else at the end of the film. Yeah. And I think that's what made the first film so charming too, is that we did have a talking animal. We did have a, a cat that made it really lovable and fun. And we that is missing from this film. Uh, so maybe something they could think about adding in the future or maybe should have added this go around. Um, there were also some loopholes, the one in particular, and, and the reason what made me reminded me of this, Anna, because it did feel like with your comment about the cat, like there were subtle nods to things that didn't quite get wrapped up totally. Like Sarah suddenly is talking to her, standing up to Winifred. Oh, but that's over now. Yes. And uh, Gilbert the Great, uh, okay, but that's done. And mm-hmm. it, there, there were these little moments that didn't like, does the mayor ever get a real apple? We don't see it. So there, there are little things like that. that I thought, oh, I wish this was just done slightly differently. And one of the loopholes that made me go, what, why now? I don't know. This is necessarily this, the screenwriter's fault, or if it was the story developer, but um, Billy Butcherson has been alive this whole time and not able to sleep. And now suddenly they're gone again and he's magically able to rest. Why wasn't he able to rest the first time? That right there. Binks got to go to the afterlife. Billy Butcherson didn't get to go to the after. What the heck happened? <laughs> that right there is one of my biggest issues with this movie. I'm like, this makes no sense. And so sometimes when I watch movies, I have to watch it for what it is. Like, this is supposed to be a cute movie, nostalgic. I'm going to watch it for what it is. But then my brain gets to working and I'm like, wait, some of this isn't making sense. Like, I think the plot needed to be developed a little bit more. And even with Gilbert, I'm like, okay, you could have gave this candle to any other person that was a virgin in this town. Why her? I I just needed a little bit more. Right, right, exactly. And and that's just it. It's like, we don't totally know why on some things. Like, why is this happening? And, and as you know, in film, you can't just throw something in for the sake of it being in there. There typically has to be a reason. Maybe it doesn't need to be that maybe, maybe we're just so programmed to see that's how (laughs) films are, that that's where our mind has us going. What? Maybe we need to relax a little bit and just have fun. But um, yeah, I think that is the natural thought process when you have something like that come up and you're like, but why, why is this happening? 
It almost uh, felt like there were pieces that weren't going through. Like we were supposed to have other parts yeah. of the film maybe that just didn't end up panning out or got cut or edited or who knows, but it just felt like those pieces didn't go through maybe like they thought they were. They had a whole bunch going a bunch of different directions. Mm-hmm. And if I can talk to you a little bit more about the the writing, like the scene where they're, they think they're in a contest, they don't know why they're in a contest. It's like you, you have these really fun drag queens ginger minge is a hilarious performer absolutely those drag queens had no real funny lines like the whole scene felt a little flat for me it could have been there there should have been something written in that was just really really hysterical but it it wasn't it it just kind of was strange awkward they lose then Winnie gets mad and throws something and then puts a spell (laughs) on everybody it was to me it just and it fell flat. I'm not going to win any awards for writing guys. I know that you can be yelling, go, I'd like to see you do better. I can't, but it's just, my instinct here is like that scene needed a, just a little bit something. I think the rest of that scene where with the flash mob kind of thing happening and I think makes up for it, but there were moments like that where I'm like, oh, I could have been just a little bit better. Well, then at the end too, when um Winnie gets her all powerful magic and then her sisters like disappear, I feel like it was a little too easy for her to contemplate giving up her power. She was willing to do anything, but I'm like, Winnie wasn't that nice in the first film. So it's yeah. like, what has changed that's made her like, oh no, I have to get away because she wanted that power so bad. So to me, I would have liked to see a little bit more struggle and fight for her to figure out she really needs her sisters yes yes and on to add to that too I didn't I hate saying this because they're child actors and I I got I I just hope they never hear this but I didn't (laughs) love the opening scene with the child actors I felt like um and again, I don't think it's their fault. I, I'm, I think it's what they were told to do. I think they were told, hey, go watch this movie, pick up on all the mannerisms and act just like these characters. So it was them doing their version of those characters instead of just acting the scene. And to me, it, it was hard to follow. It was hard to understand their accents a little bit. It, um, it was interesting to see the backstory. I think it was very helpful in developing those deeper levels of each of those characters, but I didn't love the opening scene. Can I hate saying that? Cause it was child actors, but I don't blame them. What did you guys think? I think you're right on with that for me. It's like, and for me, it was more distracting because I was watching the mannerisms and I'm going, but that's, that's maybe not something that I would have pegged for that person. And just, I was being pulled in different directions visually. Like I'm watching mannerisms and then I'm listening to dialogue. And for me, it's like my brain's trying to catch up because I'm watching a film that's brand new that I'm like trying to latch onto. So for me, it was just a lot coming all at once. And I think that was my biggest fight in the beginning. And then once it all kind of settled out, I went, oh, okay. I understand kind of now what we're doing and where we're going, but it took a minute. Yeah. And it does feel just a tad bit too long. Although I will say we could make mm-hmm. the same argument for the first Hocus Pocus film. Yes. It does take a while for the Sanderson sisters to make their first appearance. Same for this film. But again, it just speaks again to their star power. Cause once they do the movie takes off. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's about it for negatives from me. Anything else from you guys before I go into my final question to you? know that in that third film they better just bring our witch mama back yeah bring witch mom back okay so here's the probably the question that everybody wants to know what's better hocus pocus or hocus pocus 2 
Are you going to pick one or the other? Are you going to have both on Halloween? Ooh, for me, I think it's going to turn into a marathon. I think I want to do one and then I want to do two. One will always be with me. And I think that that's because it was something that it wasn't supposed to be. It has memories of nostalgia mixed in with there, which you can't speak that it has friendship in there, all that good stuff. But I love two for what it is. And I think that it will help future generations latch on to it if that's something they want to. And it's just kind of fun and lighthearted something to do uh, during the Halloween season. And not too scary. I mean, that, right. that's kind of, I love Halloween, but I don't love scary Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, why I um, am a little bit angry at Doug Jones, AKA Billy Butcherson <laughs> because of all his other terrifying movies. Um, but uh, spooky movies for a spooky season that are not going to leave you scarred for life. That's why for me, both these films get a play. I will say, I think I still love the first, but here's what I think I do watch the first film, listen to the second film soundtrack. Maybe. I don't know. I'm so torn because I did really like this movie. I'll just watch them both. I'm just gonna watch them both. Be Bonner, what do you think? Well, I know I said earlier the Hocus Pocus wasn't one of my favorites, but I'm honestly gonna go with the first one. Um, I love Kenny Ortega as a director. I love so many of the movies that he's directed and he was the director behind the first Hocus Pocus. And I think he does so well in doing children and teen and young adults, comedy, drama, humor, whatever you wanna call it. He's really good about bringing out, you know, the small things in different characters. And I think you see a lot of that in the first film. And I just thought it was so charming yesterday when I watched it, y'all. I literally was sitting there crying because that's a new thing for me. I sit there and cry when I watch movies now. So that's new. And, be, and I think I was crying because it unlocked like a special memory of me watching as a child. And I'm like, why did I stop watching this movie? I think the humor is a lot more um, low key. It goes over your head if you're a small child. So it was so funny for me to watch. I would still watch the second one, but I think the first one was done a lot better, surprisingly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we have to get going on this podcast before it turns into another glorious morning. Makes me sick. (laughs) So if you are listening to this for the first time and maybe you're from uh, the Peanut Butter and Biscuits fans that listen to that show, um, or maybe you've just stumbled upon this episode and you want to hear more of what we have to offer. It's not always the three of us lovely ladies. Sometimes we downgrade. We bring in Brett and Craig, mm-hmm. you know, it's not as the same as the quality we're offering here today, but you know, we can only do so much. Period. Yeah. We're in high demand. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We love those guys. And so if you want to listen to more of the episodes, you can find us uh, anywhere you get your podcast. You can go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever we're there. You can also find us on Twitter at beyond mouse. We are on Facebook at beyond the mouse, but The real fun is in the Beyond the Mouse podcast, pals. And we are on Instagram at Beyond the Mouse pod. And we are on Patreon. So if you're considering joining and being a Patreon member, we would love to have you. We have um, a special group where we share fun things, behind the scenes things that nobody else gets to hear or see. So hope you can join us there. But thank you all for listening today. Thank you to my Beyond the Mouse sisters, Vicky Bonner (laughs) and Anna McFarland for joining me today on Hocus Pocus to review. And yeah, I just want to thank you both for being here. Any final thoughts before we go today? The only thing that I'll add is just, uh, I loved hearing 
John Debney's music in there again, just the soundtrack that we had and being able to hear that song. And when it came on with the title on the screen, I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart sank. So just what a really great moment. I would highly suggest checking out this film. Yeah, great, great soundtrack. I was I was thinking about maybe singing a little at the end on our outro, maybe a little the, the witch, all the witch, all the witches back. That I don't know if that was that wasn't actually that composer, but you know, same soundtrack. Be anything you'd like to add for us? I would just like to say if you're a scaredy cat like me, this passes the B spooky scale of Halloween scary movie marathon rating. So Aww. it is a run. Don't walk. It is a run. Go watch it. Don't be scared. <laughs> we need a B Bonner spooky scale. Okay. Next, I will do that next year. I will Give do us it. Our, our top 10 B Bonner spooky scale films. I right? will do you that. have a whole year to work on it. I, you hold me to it. <laughs> All right. I think that does it for us. So for Beyond the Mouse, I'm Vanessa Ferguson. I'm Anna McFarlane. And I'm b And we will see you real soon in the front row or perhaps in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be lighting any more candles, though, b Bonner.